And several years ago, I was on a camping trip that one of my uh, very best friends organized. And I knew several of the, the other guys who were on that trip, um, but I didn't know most of them. And I remember on like the first night, we were sitting around the campfire. We had just finished our, our campfire meal. And there was sort of a lull in the, in the conversation. And my friend who had organized the trip just threw this simple question out. He asked, who in your life has impacted you the most and why? And it just shifted the course of the whole evening, which in turn ended up shifting the course of the entire trip. And in the span of two hours, as these guys just shared their stories in response to that question, I felt like they went from being strangers to like long lost brothers who I was discovering for the first time. It was a really incredible trip. As I reflected later on what made that specific night, that moment, so meaningful, I realized it was really just that simple question my friend threw out. And I realized that what he did in that moment was he actually set a table that he invited us to pull our chairs up to and to connect around. My friend practiced what one writer calls the art of moment-making. The art of moment-making. Do you have any friends that you know who are just really great at making moments? Like moments of connection, moments of reflection, moments of celebration and revelation even. They're great at bringing people together. Some of these moments, they can be you know, really short and small, and yet the potential that they have for impact and for transformation are really high in the long run, aren't they? Something that I've discovered throughout my years of friendship with Jesus is that Jesus is actually really great at moment making. Like he is really good at making moments, personal moments, moments of invitation that, that draw us deeper, that invite us into a deeper level of connection with him and with others. The kind of unique and life-changing moments that we all long for, that we all deep down actually know that we need, and yet we can't manufacture them on our own. We can't really expect them. And if we miss them, we know that they're not going to come back to us ever again, at least in that same way. Which is why we've got to learn how to look for them. We've got to learn how to look for these kinds of moments. We've got to learn where we can expect to find them. Because they're so unassuming and so, so small that if we don't learn and train ourselves to look for them, we don't learn and train where we can expect to find them, we might miss them. So if you have your Bibles, your bulletins, I invite you to turn with me to our gospel text for tonight, Luke 22. We'll start in verse 14. Let's look together at one moment that Jesus made for his disciples during the first Holy Week. And then we'll look together and consider how to look for those same kind of Jesus moments that he wants to make for us this Holy Week. So first, uh, before we... Before we begin in verse 14, I just want to set the scene and invite us to all sort of enter into the scene together. 
So Jesus and his disciples have just finished uh, the Passover meal. And they're like reclining at the table together, relaxing, undoing their belts, you know, kind of like that really satisfied lounge that you do after a rich meal. If we enter into the scene together, I want to invite you to, to, to consider, can you smell the roasted lamb that's still sort of wafting in the air, the leftover roasted lamb that they just ate? Can you smell the bitter herbs that were used for the, the Passover Seder liturgy that are still on the table? Maybe you can even hear the, the side conversations and the giggling among the disciples that sort of starts to still and quiet into that really satisfied silence after a rich meal like the one they just had. Now look with me at what happens next in verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So it's, it's no accident that this moment occurs on the night of Passover, the night before Jesus is about to be handed over to die and to be, to be crucified. The Passover was this, this central feast, this central event in the life of Israel. It was an annual sort of multi-sensory reminder of the way in which God rescued their ancestors from bondage and slavery in Egypt and liberated them through the blood of, of, of lambs the night before their exodus from Egypt. And the roasted lamb, the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread, it was all this tangible reminder of God's saving act, something that they could, they could taste and hear. It was a meal for their hearts as well as for their bodies. In this Passover, here's Jesus the night before his death, the Lamb of God, the one that John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the true and the final sacrificial Lamb who delivers us from our bondage to sin and death. And he's sitting right there in front of the disciples. And Jesus says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And again, he says in verse 18, something sort of cryptic. He says, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So what is Jesus doing here? What's he, what's he trying to get at with these strange, dark sayings? So what Jesus is doing is he's actually framing a moment for his disciples. But it's a moment that has both a present focus, but it's also got a future Focus. So we've got to have bifocal vision to really see the fullness of the moment that Jesus is framing for them. In other words, we could say that Jesus is looking at his 12 disciples who are sitting with him around the table, and he's saying to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this feast with you all. But not everyone is at the table. 
I have earnestly desired to eat this feast with you, but not everyone is at the table. He's got one eye on them, but he's also got his other eye looking to the future. He's looking towards the marriage supper of the lamb. When the fruit of his sacrifice as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is fulfilled, when he gathers together from north and south, from west and east, people of every tribe, nation, and tongue to sit at his table with him and to feast in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God. He's saying not everyone is at the table yet. The moment that Jesus is making here in our text, it's a moment that's, that's actually big enough for all of his disciples. It's big enough for all of his disciples, not just the 12 who were present 2,000 years ago, but it's a table that's big enough for us and a table that's big enough for all of those who will come after us and for all of those who are not at the table fellowshipping with us yet. So maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're just feeling far from Jesus. You're feeling disconnected from Jesus. Maybe you're just feeling disconnected from his followers, from his church. Maybe throughout this pandemic, with all of the social distancing, with all of the safety precautions, which are good, you've just felt relationally and spiritually disconnected from Christ and from his church. Or maybe with, with the past year, the past four years, all of the political divisions, and even just like the plain ugliness that you've seen from self-professed Christians, it's got you wondering and feeling in your heart and your mind, is this actually for me? You feel disconnected from Christ, from Christianity, from the church. Is there room at this table for me? Is this table for me? If that's you, I want to just affirm the validity and the reality of what you're feeling. But I also have an invitation for you tonight. I want to invite you to consider that Jesus is here. That Jesus is here. And that Jesus earnestly desires to share this Holy Week with you. He earnestly desires to share this Holy Week with you. But that moment that Jesus wants to make for us might not come in the way that we expect it to. So look with me at what happens next in this scene in verse 19. And he took the bread, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying to them, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. I think just a few observations. Don't we think that it would actually make more sense if Jesus did this, created this moment at the beginning of the Passover meal rather than at the end? Wouldn't that just seem to make more sense? And if rather than picking up you know, the leftover bread and sort of the, the old stale cup of wine, wouldn't it make sense if Jesus chose uh, to symbolically relate himself to the paschal lamb that they had just eaten? Wouldn't that just seem to make more sense? Wouldn't that be a clearer representation of who Jesus was and what he was doing? Why is, why is Jesus creating a moment in this way at this place 
What's he doing here? I think we could even ask ourselves, like, why did Jesus choose to institute the communion meal when Judas was still in the room? When, like, just a few minutes, Judas is about to leave, and Jesus could be like, great, now it's just me and my boys. The real disciples, he's gone. These are the people that I want to share communion with. Why does Jesus, why does Jesus intentionally have Judas at his table? The reality is that we are confronted here with a deep mystery, a deep mystery that we bump up to a lot in our friendship with Jesus, that the means that Jesus makes moments with often do not make sense to us. The means, the material, the circumstances that Jesus loves to make moments with usually do not make sense to us. They don't resonate with us. Sometimes the kind of people that Jesus allows at his table don't make sense to us. They're not the kind of people that we would prefer to have at the table. We don't understand, we can't connect with Jesus' means that he chooses. Sometimes they're even a downright affront to our own tastes. In the words of C.S. Lewis, we've got to remember that the command, after all, was take, eat, not take, understand. The command was take, eat, not take and understand. This is the mystery of how Jesus makes moments. They are often not in the places and they are often not with the people that we would expect. But like any real person, any genuine, any, any authentic person that you or I know, Jesus is free, and he's unpredictable. He's free to make himself available to whoever and whomever and whenever he wants to. He's an actual person. And as we spend time with him, as we spend time with him in the Gospels, biographies of his life, as we spend time with him in the church and worship, as we spend time with him in prayer and just in those ordinary moments of our day-to-day life, we come to expect this from Jesus. He teaches us to expect it from his own mouth. Look at how he does this with his disciples in verse 24. A dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. The towel, the table, the leftovers, the dirty feet, these are are all the little and lowly places that we can come to expect Jesus. Where we can come to expect that Jesus will meet us if we show up. These are moments that in and of themselves aren't really desirable. They're not anything that we would prefer. They're not something that we would choose. And yet what makes them different is that Jesus is there. That's what makes them different. That's what changes everything, that Jesus is actually there. For those of us who've been able to, unable to receive the Eucharist, or for those of us who've been unable to, to attend services in person, I want to say that Jesus is with you. He is with you. He is really present 
with you personally in this moment, right where you are. And he's inviting you to feast on his life. Fellowship at his table extends to you, regardless of the means that are available to you. It's in these humble and unsuspecting circumstances, the ones that we're in that we really wish we weren't in, but the ones we actually are in, that's where Jesus meets us. And that's where Jesus offers us his forgiveness, his love, his life, and his grace. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you've been baptized into him, but you're feeling far from Jesus and from his church, Jesus is making a moment for you tonight. Jesus wants to feed you tonight. He wants you to come and have table fellowship with him tonight. He actually desires to meet with you, like it matters to him. Come to his table. Let him serve you. Let him renew your connection with him and with his church. Maybe you're not baptized or you're not following Jesus. I want to say that I'm so glad that you're here and that Jesus wants to make a moment for you tonight too. Jesus wants to make a moment for you. He has an invitation for you tonight. Just like he said on the very first Monday, Thursday to his disciples, he's saying to you right now, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's inviting you to trust him. He's inviting you to come into a life-giving connection with him, saving connection. He died so that anyone, anyone who places their full and total faith in him and in his sacrifice can be baptized and eat at his table, both now and forever in his kingdom at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I'll close now with a prayer from a fourth century pastor, Basil the Great. Finished and perfected is the mystery of your dispensation to us, O Christ our God. For we have beheld the likeness of your death. We have seen your resurrection in the breaking of bread. And we have partaken of your inexhaustible and divine delights of which you make us worthy, both now and in your kingdom, and unto the ages of ages. Amen.